Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Amen. I love that song. Open your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Several passages in the New Testament. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And Revelation 5, 11, 14. And this passage are the highest points in all the Bible talking about Jesus. Verses 15 through 23 actually talk about the person and work of Christ. Today we're going to look, verses 15 to 18, to look at the person of Jesus Christ. And you may think, well, I already know who Jesus is, but can you defend that? Can you use scripture to tell people who Jesus is? Listen to what the word says. He is the image, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to see just who Jesus is and to realize that he is our everything. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Back in the mid-1800s, some of you may remember that, (laughs) a group of students at Harvard University were going to try to fool the famous professor of zoology who was from Switzerland. His name was Agassiz. They took parts from a number of different insects, bugs, and meticulously created a new creature. And, and they thought they had it all done and they chose a day and brought it to the, the professor. And as he inspected it with great care, the students grew more and more sure that they had tricked this genius. And finally, Professor Agassiz straightened up and said, I have identified it. And they were about to all laugh thinking they had fooled him. And he said, it is a humbug. The best way to spot a counterfeit is to know the real thing. Whether it's in money or art, people are trained to know what the real item looks like so that if something counterfeit comes across, they can tell. When it comes to Christianity, there are a lot of counterfeits out there. And the way that you can tell is you come to Jesus Christ and you see if they are for real or not. Because you ask them, who is Jesus Christ? 
And it won't take you long to find out if they are legitimate or not. Even though they may have Christ in the name of the, of the organization, even though they may use some Bible, they may quote you some scripture, you better find out who Jesus is with them. Because they're going to come to your door one day and confront you with it. A Christian pastor and author, John Stott, put it this way, nothing is more important for Christian discipleship than a fresh, clear, true vision of the authentic Jesus. In Paul's day, people were distorting who Jesus was. The Colossian Christians were being taught heresy by false teachers, and they were all surrounded Jesus. Some of them said that Jesus um, could not have been a real man because all matter is evil, so he appeared as a man. Others uh, had all kinds of different ideas about him. But in this passage today, I've already mentioned down 15 to 23, you find the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Today, we're going to look at the person of Jesus and how he relates to the Father, how he relates to creation, and how he relates to the church. So first of all, it says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact portrayal of the Father, the representation in verse 15. The image. First Timothy 6.16 says that God lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. You and I can't see God. We would die. Moses wanted to see God. God said, I can't let you see me. You'll die. So he passed by and Moses got a glimpse as God passed by, but he didn't look at God straight on. None of us wouldn't be able to live standing and looking at a holy God. So Jesus came, and when Jesus came, the invisible God became visible. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for image is icon. You have icons on your computer. You have icons on your phone. They are little pictures representing something. The word icon in the Greek means a copy, an exact representation. In New Testament times, it was used of images on a coin. You want to know what Abraham Lincoln looks like? Look on a penny. There's his images there. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Jesus came to show us God. In the flesh. Hebrews 1 3 says the sun, the S O N, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In John 14, Philip came to Jesus and he said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father. In, first, in John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So what John is telling us is that Jesus is the visible God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in the triune God. But Jesus is the visible representation of God. When you see him, you see the Father. He is God. He's not just a prophet. You see, a lot of people today don't believe that he's God. They don't believe he's 
connected. They believe he was a great man, a great teacher, a great prophet. But do y'all believe he's God? The next we see that, we see the Jesus relation to creation. He's the eternal preeminence in creation. I had to think a long time to get those words because eternal means he's always existed. Preeminence means he's the ultimate, he's over everything. He's the ruler. Now these are amazing words describing Christ and his relationship to creation. The false teachers at Colossae said that God's creation was evil, that all matter was evil. But Genesis 1.1 says that God created the world and it was good. And so the firstborn over creation, they would say that Jesus couldn't have been human because he'd have been matter. He would have been flesh and flesh is bad. But God said creation is good and the firstborn over all creation. You need to understand this because let me tell you why. Many years ago and centuries ago, in the first century, there was a, a false teaching called Arianism. Not Arminianism, Arianism. And it taught that Jesus was created rather than eternal. Now that's still going on today and there'll be some nice people come to your door wanting to sell you or give you some literature and they're gonna ask you, do you believe in Jesus? And they'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And they're gonna say, well, did you know that, that Jesus is not God? And you'll say, well, prove it to me. And they're gonna come to Colossians 1, 15 and they're gonna say, see, he's the firstborn over creation. So he had to be created. He's God's firstborn. But the firstborn doesn't mean necessarily mean somebody who's born first. Now, what they don't want you to do, they're also going to uh, tell you that he, not only was he created, they're going to say he, you know, that, that he's not God, but they don't want you to read the rest of this passage because the rest of this passage is going to undo what they just said. And I'm not trying to be ugly, but I want you to understand that the typical Baptist will go, well, wow, I didn't know that. You mean he was created? No, he wasn't created. He is the creator. But let me, move, let me get there. Firstborn doesn't always mean the first one in the birth order. In my family, I have a brother and a sister. I'm the firstborn. I was born first. I'm the best looking. I'm the smartest, all of that. <laughs> and all you firstborn people will agree. But that's not what this word necessarily means. In fact, in Psalm 89, verse 27, God says this about the Messiah. I will appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. The phrase firstborn over creation means that Christ is superior over all creation, that he is the ruler and the heir of all creation. Revelation 3.14 brings this out when it says that Jesus is the ruler of God's creation. Paul could have used the word first created, that Jesus is the first created, but he didn't. He used the word firstborn. And when you compare scripture to scripture, it becomes clear that Jesus was not a created being. For example, John 1, 1 through 3 includes this verse, through him all things were made. Through him all things were made. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that what has been made. So in my West Texas logic, 
If all things were made through Jesus and without him nothing was made that has been made, then he cannot be part of the all things that were made. He made it. He was already there. Who is Jesus in relation to creation? Now, he mentions a couple of things here. He says, first of all, he he existed eternally. He created it. He sustains it. Let's look at it. First of all, he's the creator of all things. Verse 16. Now, see the word past out there? Creation happened in the past. When Paul says Jesus created all things, he means all things. What part of all do you not understand? He created all things in heaven and in earth, on earth. That's a reflection of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians tells us Jesus created all things in heaven and earth. The conclusion is unmistakable. Jesus is God and all things were made through him. Just as God did not save the world apart from Christ, so he cannot create the world apart from Christ. Listen, have you ever thought about when God made man, it said, let, he said, let us create him in our image. Who's the us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods. All one God manifests three ways to triune one God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in the acts of creation and redemption. You could say it this way. God the Father created the world through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. God saves you and me through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The things in heaven on earth that Jesus created are further described as visible and invisible. Physical and a spiritual world. Paul even reminded us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he said, the things which are, vis- which are seen are temporary. There's a whole invisible world that God's created, a spiritual realm that God's created. You and I just haven't seen it yet. We can't see it. All we can see is this visible world. And Paul describes the invisible world by using the terms whether thrones or dominion or powers or principalities or rulers or powers and authorities. Those terms refer to various beings that inhabit the spiritual world. But then notice in verse 17, the poor grammar. You see it? He is before all things. Is that a mistake? Heavens, no, there's no mistakes in the word. So what does that mean? In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In John 8, 58, Jesus told the Jews, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, when God told Moses his name, what did he use? I am. And the Jews got so mad at him, at Jesus, they picked up the stones to stone him because Jesus was claiming to be none other than the eternal God who always is and has always been and always will be. And in Colossians 1.17, it says Jesus is before all things, not was before all things. He still is. Jesus is. <laughs> He's eternal. He existed before creation, and he is the creator. But he's also the sustainer 
of all things. Did you know that you can literally blow up? Now, I'm not talking about anger. I'm not talking about when you're driving. It says in verse 17, and in him all things consist. The ESV puts it, all things hold together. Jesus is not only the creator of the universe, he's also the sustainer of the universe. And by the way, I don't want to sound ugly, but, but the Lord created everything. It didn't happen. It, he just did. I don't care what you can prove, how old. You know, I believe when he created Adam, he created him with age. He was an adult. Well, he can create everything else with age if he wants to do it. Besides that, none of us are smart enough anyway to, to figure it all out. He just created. It takes more faith to believe in a big bang than it does in, in God creating the world. And when you look at all of this, and when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, it ought to be even more proof to you that there's something to this, that there is intelligent design, and that intelligent design's name is God. Um, I sound ugly again. I'm trying to work on that. He is before all things. He's the sustainer of all things. All things hold together in him. Now, Hebrews 1.3 says it this way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God did not wind up creation and then walk away. He is intimately involved in creation. And here in Colossians, God's providential care of the universe is revealed as the sustaining power of Jesus. Now, I tried something this week. Um, I tried to go into the physics world reading. Boy, do I feel dumb. I mean, they've got words in there. I'd have to look up the words to try to understand the sentence. And some of you may be a physicist, and I'm impressed if you are. And, and if I say this wrong, you can correct me later, but I'm just going to use normal terms that you and I can understand. This is the best I can understand it. We all know what an atom is. There are particles smaller than an atom. There's a nucleus of an atom. And in that nucleus are things like protons and electrons, and croutons. <laughs> well, no, that one's not in there. I was just seeing if you were listening. <laughs> and you were. I'm proud of you. But the amazing thing is, is that the way that they are positively and negatively charged and all of that, they should not stay together. Just like a magnet that has, you get a magnet turn where the poles are the same, they push each other apart. Well, what's going on in the nucleus of an atom and all, they've got all kinds of terms for it, they can't explain why it stays together. They can't. Because they, and here's their, here's their scientific term for it, and I'm not making fun of it. This is what they say. There's a weak force and a strong force. 
That's the scientific term, strong nuclear force. You'd thought, may the force be with you wasn't biblical. <laughs> they can't explain it. Even the, and I've read some of the physicists who were atheists. I'm not reading Christian ones. They just say, there's a force that holds it together. And they don't have anything to call it except a strong nuclear force. It's Jesus. <laughs> and you know what's going to happen when God gives the word one day? Because Hebrews says he holds it together by his powerful word. Well, 2 Peter 3.10 says the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It's not going to be global warming. Well, I guess you could call that global warming. <laughs> but it's not going to be man-made. Folks, this world is not going to end until God says it does. You and I can't destroy it. And I, I'm, not, I'm not being uh, naive here. But see, there's a difference in a biblical worldview and a secular worldview. And when God's in it, you, it makes more sense because God holds it all together. And one day, God will say, okay, that's enough. And when he does, the universe will cease to exist like it is now. He'll have a new heaven and a new earth. But you might say, Jesus holds you together. He holds me together. And you know what? He's going to hold us together through whatever we go through, even the coronavirus. He's also the inheritor of all things, the future. He not only created all things, he inherits all things. All things were created by him and for him. This part of the firstborn Firstborn who was one who had the rights of inheritance. Hebrews 1, 2 speaks about Jesus' rights of inheritance when he describes him as God's son whom he appointed heir of all things. He's supreme over creation in the past, in the present, and the future. That's why I put those little past, present, and future in parentheses out there. In the past, he created us. At the present, he holds us together. And in the future, he inherits all things. It's all his. So you see Jesus' relationship to the Father. He's the image of the invisible God. He is God. He's the creator of all things. And the third thing, he is the everlasting primacy over the church. Now I use the word primacy on purpose. It means the ultimate and to also show you that he is the primacy, not a man. In fact, the word he and verse 18 is emphatic. It is written this way. And he and he alone is the head of the body, the church. There's no man that's over the church, period. He is the head of it. The church is the body of Christ and Jesus is the head of the body. That means there's a living relationship between Christ and the church, even as there's a living relationship between your head and your body. You can't, your body can't live without your head, even if it's empty. <laughs> there's a relationship here. Just seeing if you're awake. 
Notice several things. First of all, he's the founder of the church. He's the founder of it. Folks, Jesus walked his disciples about 60 miles to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the center of paganism. It's at the bottom of a hill, bottom of a mountain, and the springs coming out of that mountain feed the River Jordan, which feeds the Sea of Galilee and so forth. Goes, it flows, or feeds the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee feeds the River Jordan and down to the Dead Sea. But they went there because there were all these pagan temples there. It, it was the, the headquarters of religion. All paganism. Some of them had human sacrifices. Some of them all kinds of idols. You could, and you can go there today and you can see pictures or portrayals of those temples. One place there was a deep cave under this and, and they believed that was the entrance to the place of the dead. Consequently, when Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he was probably pointing at that because that's where everybody believed was the gate of hell. Or a lot of people did. But while they were there, Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And some, he said, some say that you're the prophet, some say you're Elijah, so, so forth. And then he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and it's not capitalized, this rock, this statement, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus founded the church on that. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't found it or establish it on Peter. Peter was not the first pope. He's not the head of the church. The church. I'm not being ugly, folks. I'm just telling you that Jesus is the founder. He is the leader. He is the head of the church. Jesus is. He founded the church on Peter's confession. He's the head of the body. He's the beginning, it says in verse 18. He's the beginning of the church. There was no church in the Old Testament. The church came after the resurrection of Jesus. It's a body of baptized believers in Christ. It also says he's the firstborn from the dead. There's that word firstborn again. He's the ultimate. Now, firstborn from the dead doesn't necessarily mean he was the first raised from the dead. We know that's not true because he raised Lazarus from the dead before he died. And you have Jairus' daughter that was raised from the dead and others, other indications, some in the Old Testament. But the difference is this, that all those that were raised from the dead by Jesus really were just resuscitated because they died again. But not Jesus. You see, the exciting news that even after all these years we believe Jesus rose from the dead, he's still alive. He's still alive. He's, he is risen. He is the firstborn from the dead, meaning he conquered death. And that means that you and I are going to be raised from the dead. We're going to have eternal life. Death will not take us forever. 
We're going to have an eternal body. One day it'll be resurrected. You find the same teachings in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a slightly different way. He uses the word first fruits. But Christ has indeed, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, but Christ has, been, has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. And as far as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. He's saying Christ is the firstfruits. The firstfruits were the first part of the grain offering or the first part of the, the, the um, harvest that guaranteed the rest of the harvest. Because Jesus is alive. We're going to be made alive from the dead. Now, I don't believe we ever die. Our spirit and soul never dies, but our body does. And it's put in the ground, and our spirit and soul go to be with the Lord. And one day when the Lord returns, he will bring with them those who sleep. I always use the word, the scripture always uses the word sleep in Jesus because sleep is temporary. Sleep is welcome. It's not permanent. Those who sleep in Jesus, he will bring with them. They will, their bodies will be resurrected. They'll be given a new body. We'll be changed in that rapture moment and we'll forever be with the Lord. He is firstborn from the dead. He's still alive. He's going to bring us next. And finally, I want you to notice this and don't, don't miss this. That in verse 18, that in all things he may have the preeminence or supremacy. It's the only place this word is used. He is supreme over the old creation. He is supreme over the new creation. He's supreme over all things. This word supreme or preeminence means to be first, to hold first place. He is to hold first place in our life, in everything. He's supreme over all things, and he should always have the first place in the universe, in the church, in our own lives. He is supreme. He is everything. To the artist, he's the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he's the bright morning star. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is the life. To the builder, he's the sure foundation. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he is the great teacher. To the engineer, he's the new and living way. To the florist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he's the true vine. To the judge, he's the righteous judge, the judge of all men. To the jeweler, he's the pearl of great price to the lawyer he is the advocate to the journalist he's the good news to the music musician he's the horn of our salvation to the philanthropist he's the unspeakable gift to the philosopher he's the wisdom of God to the preacher he's the living word of God to rulers and world leaders he's the king of kings and lord of lords to the sculptor he's the living stone to the servant he's the good master to the diplomat he's the desire of all nations to the student he's the incarnate truth to the theologian he's the author and finisher of our faith to the shepherd he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the 
world. To the Jew, he's the son of Abraham. To the Gentile, he's the son of man. To the sinner, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To the worried, he's the prince of peace. To the downtrodden, he's the friend of sinners. To the sick, he's the great physician. To the thirsty, he's the water of life. And to the Christian, he is our Christ who is our life. The name above all names, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the lover of our souls and the redeemer of our lives, the name that charms our fears and bids our sorrow cease, tis music to the sinner's ear, tis life and health and peace, and in all things he is preeminent. <clears throat> he is that in all things. You've seen the painting or pictures of it of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. It's the painting where all the guys are on the same side of the table. <laughs> Jesus is standing in the middle with his arms open like this. It took three years for him to paint that. And before it was unveiled to the public, he brought in a very special friend whom he valued their opinion about it. And he showed the painting to his special friend. And his special friend immediately responded to the chalice that was in the hand of Jesus. He said, that cup is absolutely beautiful. And da Vinci immediately grabbed a paintbrush and painted it out. And his friend said, why did you do that? And he said, nothing, absolutely nothing can take the attention away from Jesus. Amen. So he had a hand out, his left hand was out, his right hand now was painted over. So he painted the hand open to make it look like Jesus was welcoming everybody. Just like that cup if we're not careful, we let other things take the focus off of Jesus. And in our life, he's supposed to be first. First place. He's to be supreme. That's who you follow. This is who we follow. Jesus. That's his person. We haven't even gotten to his work yet. We'll look at that next week. But if you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, this is not some religious man that you're trying to follow. This man, the God-man, is the savior of the world, the creator of the world. I didn't make this up. God put it in his word through the Holy Spirit in phrases that you and I could not make up about him. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've not committed your life to Jesus, you can today. So many people put their faith and their trust in their religion. Or Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's not the savior of the world. She's not a back door into heaven either. It's Jesus. 
It's just Jesus. And Jesus is. If you don't know him, if you're watching online, or if you see this later on television, you need to understand that you turn from your sin in repentance. That means you, you acknowledge, I know I'm lost. I know I don't have a relationship with God. My sin has separated me from God. And I ask you now, God, to forgive me of my sin. I realize it because I believe Jesus died for my sin on the cross. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and he rose again and he conquered death. And, and Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. You're God, you're all. If you've never done that, you didn't have to say it like that, but you realize you're lost and Jesus saves and you realize I need Jesus in my life. If you've never given your life to Christ, he's the only way. That's why Jesus also told his disciples in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man, woman, boy, child comes to the Father except by me. You can have him now. Would you pray with me? The sinner's prayer. It's not just praying a prayer. It's a commitment. The sinner's commitment. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he paid the price of my sin on the cross. I believe he rose again. And Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life and to save me right now. Lord, I pray for those that are watching online. I pray for those that may be watching by television. I pray for those that are hearing the sound of my voice, that they would realize who Jesus is and would respond to him today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.